You're ready to be premature <laughs> all over again. Wow, that's, that's impressive. Quick, quick, reset, yeah. quick reset. Last night was Ramos Jizz. A jizz. Who knew the job was pro bono? I was so high that um, I shit myself at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, get still here. Somebody, somebody, everybody mute. Goddamn it, you're killing me. <laughs> My SEAL Team 6 with the SEAL Team 12. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with punching above your weight. The thought you'd get better. Well, I don't know what's worse. You're a ginger or you've been vaccinated. You sit around and drink and solve the world's problems, right? Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. The four horsemen are in the house. Wait, no, we're not. I apologize. We're not. We're down by 50%, but that's okay. That doesn't matter. We've had two amazing gentlemen, previous guests on the show, decide to step in and go ahead and join us today. They are taking over from Mac and Haas. Uh, they will both be missed, but we have two phenomenal voices, personalities joining us today. Uh, one in Jason Houck, which you guys have already heard here in season three, way back at the beginning, and none other than Mr. Duke DeLuca. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. How is everybody doing today? Fabulous. Doing well. All right. Uh, if you haven't, please go back and listen to all prior episodes where they have have been on. Uh, both are amazing in their knowledge base and what they bring to the table. They can talk about anything. It's a beautiful thing. And hopefully what they bring to the table will be nothing short of impressive. Mm -hmm. uh, Grinch, is it my? No. Is it my computer? Did something happen to your face? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> i just realized that i'm like is that my computer okay that's your, your good side that's your good side it is your okay. computer. uh I, i'm uh thank you everybody for being here this is phenomenal as always let's go ahead and jump into our drinks uh jason since you joined first i'm gonna let you go first as a guest on the show and tell us what you are drinking today i've got a uh, red breast 12 year old with, the, with a little bit of water and some ice cubes this you are a cool. man yeah you like simple every time it's it's something easy on ice no frills, not like the rest of us. And I can appreciate that. Uh, can you... <laughs> Thank you. It's about to walk across the yes, keyboard. Jesus. <laughs> and some we're cat all, hair. Like, we're yes. all like, what are you doing? In a light dusting of cat hair. That's right. Is that what happened to your face? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I appreciate that, Jason. And Mr. DeLuca, what did you bring to the table today, sir? So I have a cocktail of my own creation. I call El Feroz. The fearsome one in Spanish, <laughs> Al Mujib, nice. speaking Al Arabic, but we aren't because the ingredients are sort of related to Caribbean Latin food because there's some spice in it. So it's a, a base of whiskey, and then you've got some Carolina Reaper simple syrup. Oh. So it's a riff on an old fashioned, but we added a little bit of uh, dry curacao, orange curacao, and. Uh, a splash of pecan liqueur, and then a combination of firewater bitters and blood orange bitters. How do you even come up with this? <laughs> I remember the last time you were on the show, you 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 spoke a lot about different alcohols and things like that. And it's like, how did you derive this drink? Is this like uh, years of testing or you just said, no, the hell no, with it, I'm just, throwing some stuff together? You know, you, I've got this enormous bar, which I'm sure Dave has told you about the, and uh, it is impressive. It's like a chemistry set you can drink. You experiment, make experiments all the time, <laughs> like a mad scientist. And some of them don't work out. But if you pay attention to a few 
principles, they almost all work out, sadly, for me, because I love <laughs> There is nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all. Absolutely. And and I'm sorry. Yeah, you... uh, like college kids interested in science. You tell them that's the... the yeah, really, right? Bartending is science. They're all over it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, here's our chemistry set. Well, what do we have? Uh, some vodka and rum and tequila <laughs> mm -hmm. and then a bunch of different bitters. Uh, I, I would have done much better in chemistry. So I don't know, though, at that age, you probably would have gone for the Long Island iced tea to get, yeah, uh, get where that's you were true. going faster. And uh, yeah. where's the cheap ass beer? I'll take that. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's on? What's the discount? What's the nickel shot tonight? Yeah. As you get older, your palate becomes. And we've joked about that on the show. And I, I don't know, it's Grinch or Haas. It's like when we were young, it was all bottom shelf. And as you got older, your your vision moved up in shelves. And you're <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like it's like absolutely. Um, and, and the name of this is what again? El Feroz, the fearsome one. The fearsome one. Awesome. Uh, we're going to need that recipe. I don't even know if I can. Sure. How, how does he find this shit? And he has a bar, Grinch, but you guys living in an ABC state, all I hear from you and Mac is the struggles of finding stuff. That's true, but he he has a network of sources. <laughs> okay. okay, that's how he does it. Got that it. is we, true. We talked about muling and keistering. That's what's going <laughs> on to get, make sure you get. He's got he people needs. bringing stuff back. Okay, it's all about knowing the right Air, people. Air America was just a cover for action. That's <laughs> <laughs> like every time you guys talk about getting alcohol in that state, it's such a struggle. And he's like, "Oh yeah, and it's this and this and this." It's like. Well, he's got it. How's he get it? Uh, but that's awesome. Uh, it sounds delicious. How is it? It's really, really tasty. Okay. And the Carolina Reapers, we grew ourselves. So I made nice. the simple syrup myself. Yeah. I, and, I don't want I don't want to hear any shit about my pretentiousness when I do stuff at home. He grows his own peppers that he just put in there. Okay. <laughs> Grinch, I'm just pointing I'll, I'll keep out. that in mind. Thank you. Uh <laughs> All right, Grinch, what about you, brother? Since you you shafted me on our drink, what did you bring to the table? Uh, this is called the Touchdown Toddy, um, which it is uh, Añejo. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Reposado uh, tequila. In this case, I'm using the Casamigos tequila. Um, hot water, obviously. Lemon juice, honey, pinch of ground cinnamon, and some vanilla extract. And uh, Yeah, it's, uh, it's on Patron's website. I'm not using their tequila but you know what yeah the recipe is a recipe so uh exactly. yeah sure that's what i got out of the, the touchdown toddy well at least you you at least mimicked what i'm doing since i'm doing what's actually called per you or your wife or wherever it came from the grinch cocktail oh um, and that is a half ounce of vodka i'm just using basic absolute i don't vodka is not a normal thing for me so i don't keep a lot of that around one and a half ounces of melon liqueur three lime wedges, and then uh, you top it with ginger ale, rimmed with green sugar, and then, you know, garnish with a lime. I didn't have a candy cane, so I didn't bother there. But it <laughs> literally looks like uh, toxic waste in a glass. That's it looks like the Grinch. It, it absolutely does. Wow. If I, if I sounds right. really sweet. Wow. Jason's like, uh, what? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I put it together. Everybody in the house was like, is that toxic waste? I'm like, it looks yeah. like. Yeah. It looks like something you'd see in a test tube on Bourbon Street. Right. Yeah. Blows in the dark. <laughs> yep. The, the hand gets exactly. grenade. grenade. Yeah. Yes. I don't know what's in it. I don't really want to. Uh, I have, it's, it's strong. I know that. <laughs> I haven't tried it yet. So. Um. That's all melon. Oh wow! Okay. All right, that's very, right. very melon-y, and lime. Yes, it's not bad. Uh, I would do it again. It's just yeah, the the color. Okay, 
Yeah. But uh, so that's what we're doing. And I appreciate you guys being here as always. Cheers, gentlemen, before we get Cheers, started. And thank you for being Cheers. here. Salute. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's jump into it. So uh, obviously we, we have two phenomenal personalities on today. And one of the things we want to talk about, because while I know it didn't affect all of you, if I'm not mistaken, because DeLuca, I believe you do not live in Moore County. I do uh, not. I live in Wake County. Yeah. The recent uh, uh, domestic terrorism issues that have plagued middle North Carolina and Moore County, the, what is that? The Pinehurst, Southern Pines. Yeah. Sand Hills, Aberdeen, Southern Pines, um, Pinehurst and yeah. Carthage, some others. And and I know both Jason, you live on the outskirts of that area. Grinch, you are kind of right in the middle of that. So Grinch, I'm going to let you talk about what we're discussing today because that is the sure. topic in general. But I know you were affected quite yes. extensively from this. So not only personally, but from a work standpoint, I mean, you you just had a lot going on and dealing with this. So it, it's really domestic terrorism. That's what we want to discuss today. And so Grinch, I will let you take it away. Yeah. And I think... Um... You know, not to bury the lead, that's that's really the topic is domestic terrorism that happened to come in the form of uh, um, the destruction of two substations in Moore County. Um, both were shot up. Um, we they think around the around the same time. Um, they're not divulging much in terms of any details. Uh, it's just shell casings, that kind of stuff. But uh, um, what it's brought to light and I think um it's probably brought more into focus because it was actually covered AP, you know, CNN, all the major news um, outlets, uh, outlets were covering it because you had over 30,000 people that lost power this past Saturday night, roughly around 7 PM. And then we did not regain power until about mid morning Wednesday. Wow. Um, so on par with like a hurricane in terms of impact, the difference was, the entire grid in that section just went out. Um, it wasn't down lines. It was very, you know, high-end, low-density parts, you know, that are designed to help transmit power, you know, commercially, residentially, et cetera. Yeah. And so that brought to light that um, there's probably been another incident that was in North Carolina previously, another one recently in South Carolina. And then it sounds like in Washington and Oregon, there were a couple incidences. So, um, so that's the scene setter of kind of the topic because domestic terrorism isn't necessarily something that is a term that's been used broadly because we haven't really had the vignettes to tie to it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what we're here to talk today and, uh, kind of the difficulty of how do you protect an entire infrastructure, you know, key utilities and infrastructure. And then conversely, if you're a bad guy doing whatever bad person, it's a very lucrative target. Not that you're going to get a lot of money or anything out of it, unless you're tying, you know, crime to it, which there's some suspicions that may have happened. But it creates um, a lot of havoc. It's a high, high impact um, incident for sure. Yes. Uh, yeah, but you call it terrorism and I'm not going to disagree, except to say that terrorism usually has a component where some faction or group with a cause takes credit. And we have not seen that yet. Correct. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things I was going to mention in terms of domestic terrorism is obviously it's a term in which a country is targeted by a perpetrator with the same citizenship as the victims. There are many definitions of terrorism, but none are universally accepted. 
The United States defined terrorism in 2003 as premeditated, politically motivated violence perpetrated against non-combatant targets by subnational groups or clandestine agents, usually intended to influence an audience. However, the U.S. government does not charge individuals with domestic terrorism as there is no such criminal law that currently exists. Right. And I, and, and I know I said domestic terrorism, Grinch, you know, I know you said that's not necessarily what we're saying. You know, it's not that people are necessarily labeling it that. Um, and then obviously, Duke, you make a valid point. There tends to be another component to terrorism when we use that term that it doesn't currently exist. But uh, what I don't know what we'd call it. You know, when, when someone per perpetrates a crime like this and creates the havoc or whatever uh, ensues in the aftermath, what do you call that? If not terrorism, well, it seems. Yeah, I agree. It's difficult to categorize this because it it does seem to go beyond vandalism. Vandalism tends to be impulsive, uh, not necessarily premeditated. In this case, we had two substations ten miles apart that were attacked, generally at the same time, in a way to affect the entire region. Uh, they knew apparently, according to the sheriff, exactly what to damage in their with their gunfire, which was repeated and clearly not a hunter that was just missing Bambi, you know, and accidentally hitting the <laughs> substation. So, um, so clearly, it seems to go beyond uh, vandalism, orchestrated uh, vandalism at a minimum. I'm not sure what the purpose was just yet. I don't know that we know that. Um, they clearly gained a lot of attention. And then seemingly are wasting the opportunity to gain attention for their cause by failing to, you know, distribute somehow uh, some sort of uh, call to uh, allegiance or action or manifesto of some sort. So I'm, I'm kind of curious about the whole thing so far. And, and Jason, again, I know you were on the outskirts in terms of being affected and impacted by this, but you were to a degree, maybe not so much as Grinch. Um, you've, you've dealt with a lot of things in terms of, you know, overseas. And I imagine and the things that the work that you've done abroad, you see a lot of terrorism within countries. Uh, what did you, you know, when you first heard about this, like, how did it hit you in terms of the things you've seen previously in other countries? And I know it's different. I'm not trying to draw that correlation, but I think there's got to be a natural, like your mind just kind of clicks when you see stuff like this and you're like, hmm. Yeah. My, uh, so we lost power at the same time. Uh, we got it back uh, two days later instead of uh, four days, which for the majority, but this instantly in my mind, this, this came to a terror attack in my head. That was the first thing. It's not it wasn't accidental for one thing. Uh, and, and, and I, to do it at that extent, it goes beyond vandalism. Like, you know, I grew up in, in, in an area where there was a lot of vandalism that I may or may have taken part in. I mean, there's tons of vandalism, but <laughs> this was very targeted to, to create a sense of panic, to create some kind of reaction in the citizen population. It wasn't an attack on a police station or a government building. It was a structure. Um, so to me, it, it has to have some kind of uh, connection to terrorism. And I don't get real wrapped up in the distinctions between domestic and international because in reality, those, those distinctions only matter in America to law enforcement when they're going to move some different assets around. They don't really exist within most of our law books. And the world doesn't care what you, the, about the definition of uh, terrorism. Every nation has their own uh, definition for it. So uh, I think as long as it's, if it's violence or intimidation, to hit the citizenry to make some change, you fall in the ballpark of some kind of terrorism. Mm -hmm. um, but we we usually use it very sparingly in America. I'm a, I'm a criminology major. I mean, I, 
I've studied the nut jobs that do this stuff. Like we don't, you call a lot of things that do create terror, terrorism. You know, for me, a lot of mass shootings are a terrorist event, but we won't call them that um, because it's, it's a mass murder. Uh, but it was with a rifle or with a car, you know, it's still mass murder. However you, whatever tool you pick up. So we, we are very restrictive on that term in America. So it will come down to, uh, I think as Duke was alluding to, someone's got to claim it and have a cause or a reason why they're doing it. Um, the one thing I did see today is uh, an echo. Um, the uh, folks that watch the uh, um, extremist groups in America saw a big uptick uh, in neo-Nazi groups and white supremacist groups, really uh, anti-state, anti-American groups that, that don't like democracy, that want to just blow up the government. Um, there was a big uptick of them celebrating the event and talking about how to use it in other places because it's a great way to show the weakness of the federal and the state governments. So uh, I think we may not ever get the reason why, uh, but I do think that the intent was to cause terror uh, because if, if we went for much longer, if this was a bigger grid, I mean, I've talked to people who did some, some studies on this in America and done some modeling. It only takes about seven days to get to Lord of the Flies if you can get a big enough <laughs> grid because you knock out every capability we have today. You know, no one has cash. No one can buy anything. Everybody runs out of gas. If it's in the winter, everybody's freezing. Uh, you know, it doesn't take long for, for people to just revert to uh, survival mode. And then, you know, it's, it's chaos. So uh, I, I think we were lucky. It was a small enough area. Everybody could move. We could all drive outside of the dead zone and get goods and come back, you know, or get warm and, and get food. But this could be a test, you know, you never know. This could well, be. A yeah. You're, I mean, you're hitting it right on the, I think you hit something really important, Jason, that I had been thinking to myself since there had been no claim, could this be an action that was internally directed at an audience already on board with this cause, right? To demonstrate that they, some particular group or faction was, A, we're still active, we're still potent, or we are active, we are potent. Uh, you should continue aligning with us because we've seen some of these right-wing groups getting broken, apart by the pursuit of the January 6th, uh, uh, you know, perpetrators and their their trials and imprisonments, uh, clearly having an effect on those more famous groups that are very right-wing and anti-government. Um, but the fact that this might be simply a test for a much larger action later on, directed at what, based on what they've learned about the network and the distribution connections in this one, to have a larger effect for which they claim credit. That seems highly likely to me based on uh, not just what you said, but, you know, even earlier thoughts about it, but what you said makes it seem sound exactly like that. Well, yeah. and, and, and I know one of the issues that came out of this was showcasing the uh, shortcomings of our power grids in terms of the fact that it is decentralized and, you know, they don't have people guarding it, not necessarily that they should, but that people can just drive up to a substation and kind of perpetrate this type of thing. And, you know, if it is a situation where it's like, oh, well, it's test. We've done it in Carolinas, uh, North and both South Carolina and other places. Like, is there ultimately a larger intention that's occurring? And again, for those listening at home, obviously, this is speculation. We're not saying any of that is the case. It's it's simply just debating the the situation with the facts that we know. So, you know, and there are two points, uh, one related to what Jason said and one related to what Duke said, which is, you know, that was the interesting thing is it, it unlike a hurricane 
we were like an island without power. It wasn't like a big swath. So you had this really interesting ecosystem that took over of generators flooding in. Yeah. Grocery stores were back online in like a day, day and a half. Um, and so you could actually still go into a grocery store like it was normal, which was really interesting. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you could get food, even though you'd come home to a house with no power. So that was yeah. an interesting aspect. And then you had food trucks coming into the area and things like that. Um, you also didn't, unlike a hurricane, didn't see this surge of assets from neighboring states, which is probably a curious thought of they have a lot of interstate agreements related to natural, you know, yeah. uh, natural disasters, but not necessarily maybe in place for this. But um, the second aspect, and I, I imagine we'll tease, you know, dig into this a little bit is this very much reminds me of Iraq when we were fighting to keep the grid up and we had this debate of you had these kilometers and kilometers of transmission lines, you have these substations, how do you guard it all? You're, you're trying to guard geography, you know, instead of guard a specific point of Asset, vulnerability. Right. And, you know, in the past, we didn't do these things because they're cost prohibitive. It's not in our economic interest because it doesn't happen enough to justify putting tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars into every individual substation to harden it. But that's also where we were pre 9-11. And in the decade, you know, plus that follow, we saw complete change of construction standards for government buildings. We saw um, TSA established. We, you know, flights are now very different than they used to be. You know, magnetometers are far more prominent and so forth. So I'm not suggesting we're there. But I don't know that everybody, you know, necessarily realizes the scope and scale of what it would take to <laughs> protect the entire grid, because there's so many places you could go after it. This just happened to be high payoff. Well, this is a point that I think Jason probably learned this in Iraq and Afghanistan, as you did, obviously, Dave, and my own experience addressing issues like this in Iraq, long, linear targets, like pipelines, uh, transmission lines and roads, frankly, the counter ID IED fight was all about maneuvering on roads, uh, and they're the same thing. So the way we uh, the way you win that fight is not by securing them twenty four seven. You can't do it. You don't have the assets to do it. And this uh, we had a lot of propaganda about an unblinking eye looking at things, and that was mm -hmm. all you know very silly uh, egotistical nonsense. But the way to Respond the way we won the Battle of the Roads, for example, in Iraq, even at the height of the surge when there were 3,800 attacks a month, was by having battle damage repair capabilities that were going out the night something was detonated and fixing the crater so it couldn't be expanded and to get up under you with a very large charge to continue traffic unimpeded, replacing bridges within 24 hours that had been damaged by truck mounted IEDs. We got to the point where we couldn't secure the long linear routes because there was X many hundred thousand kilometers of road. But we got to the point where the the effects of the attacks were so limited in time and space that they were almost not worth taking the chance to conduct, right? Um, and it also allowed us to play lots of games with the opponent and draw them out into certain areas and not others and, and, and to uh, neutralize them or, or kill them, right. Uh, capture them or kill them. So I think an approach to long linear 
infrastructure in the U.S. has to be something similar, maybe not so military right now, in terms of law enforcement, in terms of these intergovernmental support agreements you referred to with under FEMA's rubric and separately, the states support each other in times of natural disaster with all sorts of assets they've pre-agreed. Well, maybe there's working with the energy uh, companies, uh, the public utility corporations and the states, there's agreements on sort of the, a battle damage repair capability that doesn't currently exist. I mean, look at the mm-hmm. time frame that's required now to fix these two substations, right? I'm, I'm thinking of the classic action, reaction, counteraction. <laughs> that is what we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the uh, or the other one is uh, that I suddenly popped back in my head from Jido is attack the network, defeat the, uh, yeah, defeat the device. You know, it's defeat the individual attack mechanisms to the extent possible, but you focus on the network executing it. And then of course. in the meantime, you know, generate systems that, that are resilient. And law enforcement right now is trying to focus on the network. You know, clearly this wasn't one person's, you know, uh, idea to go do. I doubt it. Maybe it was, but seems unlikely given the expertise in the placement of the shots, given the number of shots at each site, given the selection of the two sites that would reinforce each other. It seems like more than one person was likely involved. So I'm sure that the police and other law enforcement are are going to go after the network, right? Which they should, clearly. Well, that's the two words that have been thrown around. And most of the articles I've seen is deliberate and intentional. You know, it wasn't an accident. And clearly, if this was perpetrated by multiple people, there was definitely intent to, you know, create havoc and chaos in the area by attacking the substations. So, and again, my lack of understanding, especially with the three of you gentlemen, because I haven't been in the situations you've been in, especially internationally speaking, if somebody doesn't come forward and claim responsibility, is it, is it, is the potential that, you know, they didn't have a manifesto. They didn't really have an idea. It was just, I want to be a douchebag today and create chaos. And so this is what I'm doing. Or is it more likely they're just, you know, they, they had an intent, but I don't know. They're too scared to come forward and say, this is the message we're trying to send. I've been running. I've been running through that one in my head. I think if there's a couple possibility, possible motives, and I think there are different reasons why they would or wouldn't come forward. One, the one that everybody's talking about is that there was a a drag queen show in Southern Pines. And there's an assumption that maybe this was somebody, you know, some Christian supremacist who really hates drag queen shows who got radicalized enough to shoot up, you know, and drop the power to 40,000 people to shut it down. Uh, If that is the case, I don't think they're going to say anything because then they're admitting, you know, this and that that puts their whole you know, the whole group that would support him in trouble. So they're not going to want him to say anything. This would just be something. If it's a test, if it's some kind of anti-government militia who's trying to see how easy it is to take down the grid, you know, I, again, I don't think they're going to say anything. Right. It's just, why would you? You would be an idiot to say, to claim this. So, you know, un- unlike very public, open, insurgent-style terrorist campaigns that we've seen in Iraq and Afghanistan, where you want to, you know, say I did this because I killed these people and, you know, support me, recruit. I want more recruits. I want more money to, to do this. This is probably a group that would like to stay quiet. If uh, And if they don't come forward, there's not a great chance of finding them. Uh, I think we lack, um, it's not about padlocks and cement walls. We lack cameras. You might be able to track cell phones going in and out of there. Again, if this is somebody who has half a brain, they know not to bring a cell phone when you're doing something like that. Because <laughs> they're easy to track. Um, but most people can't detach themselves from a phone. So maybe they'll get lucky and, and track the phones to the site. But 
until we at least put cameras, which are freaking really cheap at every power, you know, along the grid somewhere, you're, you're always going to be playing catch up because you're, you're not going to spot the guy on the scouting mission and you're not going to spot the guy while he's shooting it up or when he's driving away, if you don't at least have cameras. So right. uh, we may never know the reason why. And if, uh, unless there's an idiot that did it and wants to, you know, damage what they're actually trying to do uh, by, by coming out. I, I, it's, it's, it's a weird one. It's an odd one. We, we may not see a, anybody claiming it. By you know, not, sorry, go ahead, Duke. I'm often wrong, but I'm skeptical about the whole claim that it's an anti-LGBTQ plus action. I mean, there's so many simpler ways you could have disrupted that that show. Just get some signs and and just march out front. <laughs> you could have done some graffiti the day before, <laughs> the day of. You could have you could have uh, phoned in a bomb threat with a burner phone or something. You could have, um, you know, you could have driven by in a hostile way. You know, taking the plates off your car. You could have done. A, there's there's so many things. Although you would be seen doing that, so maybe that's not quite as uh, less exposure. It seems like a point target like one theater in a town is much easier to disrupt hell they could have taken a pot shot at the place and they would be just as undetectable you know with one shot you know uh, in the dark rather than a bunch of shots at two different substations so i'm leaning more toward jason's uh, theory that this is a, a test of their capabilities and the resilience of the system and the system resilience is a huge issue for lots of reasons not just because it's it's guarded against normal vandals and idiots who wander into a substation and get themselves hurt right it's not mm -hmm. guarded against a an armed threat that wants to re remove power from the police because that's so rare um in our domestic environment um but there is some real issues transmission is long distance and that's 440 kva then it gets stepped down at these substations to 33 or 11 kva and then it goes in distribution that's the local more county network, right? That takes it to your house. Then you use it at 200 or 110 really volts, right? So um, we have an issue in our country, in my opinion, that we have set up public utility corporations and allowed even non-public utility corporations like Entergy, Duke Power, others, uh, Dominion Energy, to have essentially regional monopolies and under, under the public utilities law regional monopolies were allowed they were they were created with the provision that the only way that they could make money was by building electrical power generation that's how they made their money they have to provide power they have to connect you all that they got to do but the way they make money is by adding generation that's the way the rule book was designed in the 1930s in 40s and that that was what the rule book needed to read in the 30s when we were trying to electrify the whole country to include the rural areas that no strictly commercial capitalist organization was going to electrify because the costs are far too high. There's not enough money to be made. We're never going to electrify Kansas outside of Kansas City, Mo, and, you know, uh, whatever, Topeka and you know, <laughs> one or two other places. So so they created these rules and they were good rules. They, they generated power galore, even enough to excess power to power the war industries during World War II. I mean, it was an enormous success story for the country. And for a long time now, at least since the 90s, people have been talking about the vulnerability of these regional networks that have been sort of 
put together quite higgly piggly, if you will. That's a technical term. Uh, <laughs> and they're not, they're pretty brittle. They can be brittle if hit in the right spot, right? They're not resilient under all conditions. So for a long time, I've believed that we need to change our public utilities uh, law to now require uh, the, first of all, the modernizing, because the average transmission lines in this country are at least 50 years old, right? So the modernization and the reinforcement and enhancement uh, and protection of the transmission and distribution networks and allow the PUCs to make money doing that. Now, I said that, I believe that probably 20 years ago, uh, and I would have been too soon. You know, so I, I might be wrong now, too. So here's what <laughs> happened. Once Mr. Mitchell in Texas figured out how to economically horizontally fracture shale layers, we were, we've were we been fracking well since 1949, vertically, right, with the uh, high-pressure sand water and other stuff. Uh, but it was impossible to do horizontally in an economical way. But Mr. Mitchell of Texas figured out how to do that in about 2006, very economically. Suddenly, all this oil and gas trapped in shale layers becomes extraordinarily economically recoverable, right? Old wells become hugely producing uh, renewed wells. Uh, new shale layers, Pennsylvania alone is an example. Just the Marcellus layer of Pennsylvania has 550 years worth of all the energy we consumed in 2014 in the U.S., you know, and there's a Utica, there's a Utica layer below the Marcellus layer that has another 550 years of 2014 level of every kind of energy that we consumed. So, I mean, the, the, the amounts of recoverable assets multiplied so much and we began exploiting them because it was cheap. And by the way, gas is cleaner. Gas became much cheaper than coal. It was displacing coal throughout the country. Now, there was a lot of bullshit in the 2016 campaign in the U.S. about this democratic war on coal. But the Democratic Clean Power Plan never took effect. It was scheduled to take effect in 2017. There was no such war on coal. The war on coal was a market war on coal, and that's why coal was displaced. And the PUCs could make money because when they made a new gas generation plant for power, they got paid. That's how they could make profits. So they were very happy to make the transition from coal to gas because they could make more money that way than if they just ran their coal plant and charged people rates. So... I was too soon in the 90s. You know, I, I would have missed that rapid transition opportunity. And honestly, the Obama administration clean coal plan, I mean, clean power plan, was really about how fast do we close the last of these coal plants before they eventually close down anyway. It was just trying to accelerate that uh, and, and claim credit for it, obviously, because for their base, claiming credit would have gotten them votes and donations. For the opposing base, it was useful to raise money and get votes by saying, the, the coal industry's problems were all the Democrats' fault, which right. so neither of them were telling the truth, <laughs> which is quite customary in America. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's tradition. I think. <laughs> if they weren't doing so, that, something but be wrong. This issue of how do we reward PUCs and in energy companies in general to address this problem? Uh, you know, call me, I guess, someone looking for a market-based solution to the brittleness of our network problem. That makes sense. Well, yeah, easy to yeah. say, hard to do, though. Yeah, That sounds like most of the things we talk about on this show. Easy yeah, to talk yeah, about, there, hard to, to impose in, in, in that. In there's probably a game theory somewhere out there of how you incentivize and so forth. But, uh, you know, uh, interestingly, I, I'm, I'm going to jump back. Um, and I'm, I don't know if this makes any sense, but, 
you know, I, I have said that one of the common denominators of the power, the timing of the power being seven o'clock was that's what time the show started. But I, I'm not necessarily I'm actually going the opposite direction of saying if you knew that might get the bulk of the attention, then that's actually a perfect time to go try something like this out because I, I mean, it garnered some attention. Like this is the first time it's been at the sunrise. So people knew and people broadly knew. So it doesn't, it, it reminds me a lot again of Iraq where, you know, let's say uh, an oil line pipeline got hit and we're like, ah, it's terrorism. Well, no, it was the oil companies that had the trucks that didn't want the pipeline to work. Yeah, it was crime, sure. you know, right, right, or right. is it anti, you know, is it anti or sectarian violence? Well, maybe. And it just happened to overlap in this Venn diagram of intent with a lot of things, which makes it really hard to unpack without like a good solid lead, which back to the right. point, if you're smart, why would you give out a good solid lead? <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so for you and Jason, yes. Yeah. <laughs> on December 3rd, this start, you know, 7 p.m. roughly, right? Power goes out. At what point did you guys first hear that this wasn't just a routine power outage? It wasn't somebody wrecked their car and hit a transformer or something, you know, someone actually cut a line. It, it it didn't help matters. And I'm not giving this woman any credence whatsoever, but it didn't help that within a very short amount of time of it happening, this local whack job that's in this area posted on Facebook. The power is out and I know why. Uh -huh. And so this generated a, what do you mean by that? Well, of course, what she said is it's God's retribution and blah, blah, yeah. blah. You know, is this the thing you sent out to us? The ex-military yeah. woman? She, yes. She's a former okay. army officer. She's okay. a, a wackadoodle. She was all anti-COVID as well. But that was kind of first to press, if it makes sense. And we know with these things, sometimes that's what you hook on to is, is you go to the obvious. Right. And I, I would well, that's say a compelling, interesting story. And that's what journalism loves. Yeah. And I would say that's, that's probably what generated the initial discussion. And then what started to follow was the reports that the substations had been hit. Cause you know, you know, you're like, Oh, did a drunk hit a power line, you know, any of these things. Right. And then the scope and scale of it is what started to follow in short order because it's a, you know, it's a seven, seven, seven thirty on a Saturday night. People are up. A lot of them are out eating. Yeah. We were waiting for the ACC championship to start and, you know, we had football on. So there was just a lot of people awake and active and <clears throat> the cell network stayed fairly strong. Cause of course, you know, it, it had backup power that yeah. immediately went into effect. We did see with, I forget the hurricane where we went four to five days as well without power that it was a, such a big swath that the cell towers actually started bogging down because they couldn't push the data because they just didn't have the power that sure. didn't happen in this case. So, oh, wow. yeah, it actually stayed fairly functional the whole time, which was curious. Well, maybe they learned from last time. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, really. <laughs> Back to the whole action, reaction, counter action, right? <laughs> maybe we need larger fuel stores and then somebody's going to hit the fuel stores one day. <laughs> Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, that's the game. That's the game we play sometimes. Mm -hmm. I heard pretty quickly. I, I got texts from a few people pretty quickly asking me, "Is this is this some kind of you know planned attacks, terrorist attacks? Have something to do with Fort Bragg?" Uh, I just looked at the text I got from CNN guy. He was like, "Hey man, is this right wing terrorism? Does this have something to do with the training that they do outside of Fort Bragg, where 
where they teach people to, I was like, dude, we're all getting way ahead of it. We have no idea what this is. Like, right. it's an attack on the power grid. And again, what we know is we just show the world how easy it is to take down our power grid. Where a lot of people at Fort Bragg that do very important work live. I mean, that's that's the bit that was a big takeaway for me. And again, just educated. Yeah, and, and, and I would think being in that area with Fort Bragg and the military presence that exists there when something like this happens, that that's probably the first place people mentally go. Is I, I wonder if it is an attack because of the locale of the base. It's pretty ineffective one though. Cumberland County is where the garrison area of Fort Bragg is located, where the major part of the population lives. That west side of Fort Bragg proper is pretty bare. You know, you got Holland drop zone and a bunch of training area, <laughs> some ranges. I don't know if Camp McCall was affected or not. So you might know. It went down to the edge of it. I had a friend live near okay. Hoffman. I mean, it, it would hurt the personnel, which, you know, if you can uh, yeah. make the personnel at Fort Bragg yep. Yep. Who, who are very busy, you know, if you can make their family hurt for a couple of weeks yep. with such a simple thing, that's a pretty good way to, to, to hurt readiness. You know, that. Sure. That is a strike against readiness because then you got guys driving to Fort Bragg to work, uh, you know, true. leaving their family who are camping, you know, and have no money. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. it's uh, it's interesting. For those but we show our enemies a lot. For those listening, Jason's talking about a lot of Fort Bragg personnel live off post on the west side of Fort Bragg, an increasing number really every year. It's growing and growing, mm -hmm. and uh, so yeah, a lot of families are there, and so that would be actually an effective attack on the personnel of Fort Bragg, not the fort itself. Yeah, so the, so the fort's not the fort doesn't get affected, but all the families <laughs> of the soldiers and and such that work or or operate in Fort Bragg they get affected, and so that has to affect the sure. the individual well, themselves. Well, and interestingly, just <clears throat> side note, but you know Fort Bragg was an open installation prior to nine eleven. Yeah. You could drive right through it, right through it. Anybody could. 9-11 happened. It became a closed installation that night. And what followed was millions of dollars in investment and uh, gates, guards, closing roads, rerouting yep. roads. Yep. You know, uh, in the weeks that followed, uh, as I recall, we everybody on Fort Bragg would get a detail to guard this, to guard that, whether it was water treatment. It was the same everywhere. Yeah, Fort Campbell, too. <clears throat> And so, I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not there. It's just, we've, we've, we have seen a bit of this movie before. We're just wondering if it's the movie we think it might be, or we're like, <laughs> you know, this is, this is just annoying. Somebody decided to just vent and act and we're looking for a larger motive when all it was was a couple of semi-intelligent people that pulled it off, you know, which was most likely what it was. <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I can't say. Don't no, have enough information yet. Yeah. 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 Uh, and again, when the report started to come out and Grinch, you were sending out texts like they're not saying a whole lot. They're keeping everything close to the vest. Like there's just not information to be able to tell us what's going on. I mean, you knew obviously it wasn't just a, a normal power outage at some point. You knew that was no longer the case, but you weren't getting details about what it was. And then the speculation of it's it's a vandalism or terrorism it's it's calculated it's it's deliberate it's intentional like when that starts to pop up then do you i have to imagine living in the area you're like it's not like a hurricane i live in florida we get a hurricane it's an entirely different beast of burden there you're going is something going to be next right you know what becomes the next concern 
is there a reason they focused on this area for whatever right. reason? And so then right. you begin to, you know, it's like, oh shit, now what? Right. That's the way you try to unpack it is, is you, you take a logic train and just try to deduce some possible motive. I mean, it's the same thing investigators do, right? You, you know, you, you get some theories maybe, but you, you, you got to be careful a bit, you know, against confirmation bias and so forth. So you try to go where the facts take you. And yeah, so far they've, they've divulged very little, uh, yeah. we're, we're aware, you know, at least in reporting, they have some search warrants that are under seal in order to probably prevent any information getting out of what leads they're pursuing. And so, you know, for more county residents, it's in essence, it's like, go back to normal. That's really what we need you to do. You don't have a role in this short of yeah. you happen to be by the substation when it happened. Yeah. So do your thing. The economy needs to keep moving forward. We need to be resilient as well, you know, yeah. and thankfully, I, I actually think the county did very well. Um, amazingly, some of the four way stop roads worked fairly well. You know? did people, they? people gave out free food. The grocery stores gave out free ice. I mean, it was, um, you know, some silver linings for sure. I hadn't seen. Did they declare a, a state of emergency for the area? Was that uh, from a national perspective? I, 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 again, believe, I know that happens when they do hurricane. I There's believe there was a declaration of a state level emergency, yeah. probably okay. to open the coffers for any resources should they be needed. Right. Okay. Yeah, so they, and they just national. kicked in a lot of the hurricane planning, you know, shower stations and then food stations, all the stuff that you would for, you know, it's luckily we're in North Carolina. We're used to power outages and this happens across the state all the time. So. I think Florida would have handled it the same, you know. Oh, okay, we, we know this drill. Yeah, okay. This is how you deal with a big power outage. Unfortunately, yeah. I worry here in the state of Florida, it would just give our governor a reason to just institute his own military right here like he wants to do. Well, he's got yes. his own police force, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> his own election police. Yeah, like, yeah. What's next, I wonder? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, In the campaign I, against woke capitalism, whatever that might be. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what that means. <laughs> so I, I guess for y'all's area, that's a great question. What's next? You know, is it a matter of restructuring the, the the power grid or the way in which power is brought into the area? Is there a way to install cameras so that you protect those assets? I mean, and I know you guys don't necessarily know that. It's just saying that's going to be a big question is what, what's next now? We know it's happened. You were out of power for a couple of days, five days, whatever it was. Grinch, your business was without power. You know, you, you couldn't even go to work and function, much less function at home. Uh, you sent the picture out. It's like we got the fireplace going, candles everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um so it's like, okay, what is next? And I imagine the people there are probably going, what's next? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, all right, if I'm putting on my Duke Energy hat right now, who may have, I'm sure they have insights we're not privy to, right? Because they know better, like how low density some of these parts and components are. Right. And, and, and I would imagine there's a body of work out in the internet that is now educating the wannabe extremists you know, kind of like the anarchist cookbook or something along those lines of like, Oh no, it's already been out on the web for since like 2013. Yeah. Right. Right. Previous know, attacks on substations. Yeah. You know, so it's not like it's hard to, to access this information. Um, but if you're Duke, you're, you're probably in the seat of going, what is in our most economic interest? And maybe we need to relook our repair, you know, stores, um, you know, how many, you know, insulators and, you know, so forth do we have on hand? We've learned that maybe that's not enough. And I, and, uh, and, and Duke, you probably know this far better than I, my understanding is substations are not cookie cutter either. 
No. You know, they're unique in the way they're constructed based on the demand and where they get their power and so forth. So it, it wasn't as simple as, you know, the tires blown, put a new tire on it. It was a little more involved, right. which I think is what led to the delay. <coughs> they had they had to source those parts and then bring them in. And then, of course, a grid can, you know, you, you can't just flip the switch literally and everything's fine. Like they have to stabilize incrementally to get that demand back on right. and right size it to how much draw there is. So, which is why they brought about a thousand people on at a time starting mm -hmm. Wednesday. Right. So this is the, the, you know, the future is easier. It always is right. Uh, the future is always bright depending on who you, you know, whatever the briefing is. So I'm going to give you one of those shitty briefings about how bright the future is today. <laughs> uh, and that is uh, this business of advanced manufacturing, right? which is, uh, you know, uh, additive manufacturing is changing the way we're going to do all kinds of parts in the military, outside the military, commercially. They have a bunch of feedstocks now that they can do multiple. I think the most right now is three or four feedstocks together on one part. They can't quite get to mil spec standards yet. Although I, one of my other work is I'm working with Rock Island Arsenal, trying to help them get to mill spec additive manufacturing so that they can produce all sorts of these parts in many cases for equipment to include naval vessels and other things that are no longer in production by the original equipment manufacturer, right? They're just not available. The, even if the parts pattern is available, it's not digital yet. We haven't digitized it. You have to digitize it, but you can create these things quite easily. So, you know, it was 120 hours to get power back on this time in Moore County, right? I'm sure Duke Energy is going to be looking at how do we make that 72 or 96, right? And what do we need to do? How many more people need to be on recall? How many need mm -hmm. trucks need to be, you know, what is it? Uh, what are the low density items that maybe we need to have what we would call in the army a prescribed load list or an ASL or an authorized stockage list, you know, regionally to have, to be able to react to this kind of action since it is happening is likely to continue to happen, whether it increases, who knows, but it's certainly that we have no reason to believe that it will suddenly stop happening in the United States, right? Nothing about what we're doing right now would cause a reduction in the activity. So clearly it will happen. Maybe it won't happen in Moore County, North Carolina. Maybe next time it'll happen in Pennsylvania, you know, upstate New Hampshire. I don't know, you know, who knows mm -hmm. given the, these groups, but so the future will be, this will be much easier to do and much more quickly, even a, a, a very rare, part that no one has on hand at some point five to seven to ten years from now you can just print it and you can print it regionally and, and have it on, on site very quickly right? immediately right yeah no immediately that's hard to do but you know i won't say that that's pretty <laughs> no but, I, but, uh, I, your but point is pretty taken, rapidly yeah. right yes. and this is really what a lot of commercial organizations are striving for as well as the military is striving for the same damn thing right because that simplifies a whole bunch of things for the military. If I don't have to ship, talk to an item manager in Michigan and ship a part from California to me in Ouagadougou, Africa, I could just print it. If you just send me the digital parts pattern and I have all the feedstocks. Now all I have to manage is, you know, just like we went to a single fuel battlefield instead of mo gas and diesel and half and half for the chainsaws <laughs> and other equipment, all this other crap we had to keep track of, which tank can we put fuel in? Cause we've got three or four or five types of fuel on the battlefield. We had one fuel. JPA, right? That's it. Everything that's fuel is fuel. Fuck it. 
it goes in. Simple, <laughs> right? That's it's highly simplified. And we're going to do the same thing with parts with feedstocks. It's brilliant. Parts. It's going to be three, three or four feedstocks. That's all we have to care about. And we got the machine and we got the printer, right? That's it. And it's in a Conex or a ISU 90. Great. That, that's, that's the weirdest fucking thing. As a civilian, for you to say that, like multiple fuels on a battlefield, that that makes no sense. And obviously it's clearly something you guys have wrestled with, but I'm like, it was technology what? of the time, right? It was technology <laughs> of the time, right? So. Okay. I mean, shit, I, I was not aware of that. Um, you know, Duke, you mentioned that you know, this has been an issue at least since 2013. And I did see a thing talking about the vulnerability of terrorism to uh, power grids. Fear spiked back in 2013 when snipers knocked out a substation in California and it was mo yep. motivated behind this event. The motivation behind the event is still unknown. And then, Jason, you mentioned way back at the beginning of this, uh, in, in terms of kind of in, inciting chaos, affecting the most amount of people, you knock out a grid, immediately 40,000 people are affected. It's not, I, I'm thankful. I, to both of you, I'm sorry that it happened to the other 39,000 that were affected, but at least they didn't take a gun into the theater if the theater was the focus and do something stupid. But to affect 40,000 people immediately, that's massive. And so when you look at this, it's like, yes, people have taken a car and driven through a parade and people have shot up theaters and schools. And But this is something where you are affecting a massive amount of people immediately. And so the concern obviously becomes... You can then do that on a larger scale. There are more than 55,000 substations in America, and how do you protect them all? And, and and again, the issue, and Duke, you make a point, if something happens in the future, things will get faster in terms of bringing that back online, but it doesn't necessarily prevent the grid coming down to begin with. No. <clears throat> yeah. This And I... I, I've been thinking about this since the 90s uh, every day. A lot of people know uh, James Nick Rowe for uh, being a key part of forming the SEER school, the survival innovation school mm -hmm. uh, in the army that, that the military used. But in 1977, he wrote a novel called The Judas Squad, which is a bunch of ex-military folks in a paramilitary group that take down a Pennsylvania power nuclear power station uh, and and what that can do. And it's a great novel. And it was, the, it's the book nobody knows he's ever written, but I, I read it in college and I was like, it's just always stuck in my mind living through Afghanistan for, for a decade of power outages. I was like, it is such an easy way to make everybody move into survival mode and just do stupid things. It's, it's just the cheapest way to have a war with somebody. And I've always thought, and I, I do a lot of writing. There's one, a couple of my novels that I've got sitting there half done involve this topic you know it is just such an easy way <laughs> to sow panic and sow despair in it and you can keep it going you know it, we have limited resources to repair it we're not good at predicting it or finding it it's so easy to keep secret what you're doing um and it's so easy to hit these soft targets because there are so many of them so you know as as the nation surges to the northeast to fix that big area you know then you hit this the southwest and now you got all the national resources trying to go in two directions. It's just such an easy way to, to raise hell. Uh, I, I worry that there, there could be more. I, I think a lot of people know that it's easy. Um, and until we you know, beef up uh, our surveillance in some ways with more cameras, at least, uh, if not, you know, uh, other tracking mechanisms or, you know, orbitals that are up there, you know, constantly filming this. Uh, so we, we know wh wh who's moving in and out. Uh, it's going to be tough, and it's it's not it's not something you want to 
put a ton of money in trying to make it into Fort Knox at every substation. We just, no one can afford that. We go broke. We're <laughs> just trying to keep that up because the enemy is going to be one step ahead. And soon they'll be able to just do it in a cyber attack anyways. And it won't matter what your physical uh, situation is. They'll find a way to take it down through the Internet. And uh, It's an issue. I think about it a lot. Uh, this, this brought home a lot of ideas when, when the lights went out. Yeah, it's amazing. A day without power, that's one thing. But when you start at Grinch, as you know, Jason, uh, you start going multiple days, it becomes, I mean, I, in 2004, I lived through multiple hurricanes here in Florida. And for 19 days, I was without power, almost back to back, 10 days and then nine days uh, in August. And it was just fucking miserable. Of course, Florida in August is miserable to begin with. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you have no power, no air. And at the time, like I, I was in my first home, no generator. And so it was yeah. like, you're going, shit, man, this is unbearable. Well, it, you know, in the standard arc, with humans is you initially go, I'm just going to, I'm just going to suffer through this. Right. (laughs) You know, you're like, do I need to find a way to do hygiene on the same level I would otherwise? Well, if it's prolonged, you do, because that's how you stay healthy. I mean, it's just like they talk about, you know, if you're in any kind of like survival mode, like you've got to retain those base elements that keep you healthy and happy to continue to function the West has never endured that. Like we've never really, other than nine 11 suffered a major attack that caused us to suffer. I mean, there's probably some nations out there laughing at the notion that we went a few days without power. Right. Sure. Cause they're yeah, like a for one right now. Yeah. <laughs> that happened the other day, you know, right. like, <laughs> one County in middle of North Carolina. And, and, yeah. Right. And, and, you know, and then simultaneous to that is I think I could hear two generators in this area because there just isn't a demand, right? It doesn't happen frequently enough. Those are the kind of like investment things that individuals start doing. If something occurs more often, right. Mm-hmm. Of the, you know, Oh, I'm going to get that Generac system yep. or whatever. Right. But I mean, you know, back to the, what impact, I mean, electricity affects on a scale that nothing else can because water is more, it flows. Okay. Sure. You can take down a pump and don't get me wrong. That's a big deal. Cause those are unique as well. But you tend to be able to replace pipes. Easier. And you have buffer with the water towers too. Right. It's right. a buffer. Yeah. So this this is high payoff, as we said. It does affect a lot. And tester otherwise, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a big deal. And this county lost millions of dollars. Duke Energy lost millions of dollars. All these businesses lost quite a bit. They lost all their inventory. They lost revenue. Yeah. It hurts. And never mind the the concern and the fear that I think naturally is just going to come with it right out of the gate when it happens and people begin to understand. But again, I think you would think since the base is not in Moore County or the Ford is not in Moore County and it's not directly affected, people would go, why did they do this in Moore County? If it wasn't a test, if it wasn't a test of the grid and it wasn't to find, it's like, what's so impactful about Moore County that we give a shit like th- that they would do it there. <laughs> As opposed to a major metropolitan area. Good question. Yeah, I can't. I don't know. Yeah, you know, that, that is the key question, right? No, but I, I think that's to... when people go, "Oh, it's this drag <laughs> yeah. show." Because why else would you do? Well, it? they'll be. Let's be honest, though. The, the media would be inclined to that story because that is a story that's prominent in our national press right, right. now and national media, not just you know of all kinds. The whole business. There's plenty of politicians posturing against the uh, LGBTQ plus uh experiencing equal rights under the constitution for a variety of reasons that they espouse and there's all sorts of people that are reacting to that or advancing the the fact that these rights should be respected and you know they should be accepted and that's a dominant 
strain of our politics right now, whether you like it or not. And so it's easy, you know, the media doesn't is not that creative in my experience and <laughs> opinion. And so this is like, oh, how does this fit into what we're already talking about, right? And I live in Wake County, right next door to Moore County, or just nearby. I guess Chatham's in between us. I'm not sure. Um, but I had I had no idea this show was going on. And it, you know, there's probably drag shows three times a night in the Triangle somewhere. You know, there's there's <laughs> it's I don't know. I have no idea. So it's not like it was widely, it was not a widely known event. You know, the Pope wasn't visiting more count. Right. So, (laughs) uh, you know, so it'd be, I'm really, I am skeptical that this is what caused this action. No, I I I could be wrong. Yeah, I know. I think I meant, I think people gravitate towards that, like you said, because it's in the the forefront of American consciousness right now or internationally. And and I think people would just naturally go, but what's in Moore County that is worth and, doing? By that? the way, if this was 2001 too, we'd be looking for the Muslims that did it, right? right? No, that's fair. Because yeah. of 9-11. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, let's fair. be honest. Yeah. That was what our media would do. Our media is not, although there's populated by people who are plenty sophisticated. I've met many of them. They're quite lovely. But- as an industry, it's just the lowest common denominator nonsense, right? Right. So, uh, you know, so that's why I think that particular show at a theater, no, you know, no one outside of Moore County ever heard of before, let's be honest, <laughs> uh, got attention at the national level. I, I'm, you know, I mean, I mean, it, it was international level. I mean, I had <laughs> people in Afghanistan asking me about it. Um, Crazy. But that angle on, on the, uh, the connection or disconnection or the theories and rumors about the drag show, it's because it was such a big local topic. There was a lot of lead up to the show. I think it's been here like oh, four there? different times or something, but here locally uh, there was a big lead up. I actually was, was driving today and happened on the radio. I heard a pastor t- talking and I heard some speech and it was a, a live sermon from a local church. And it's the local church that was spearheading the effort to not have it. And his whole sermon was a Sodom and Gomorrah sermon about, look at them, they're all trying to persecute us Christians now for saying that drag queens are an abomination. And that was his whole one-hour sermon on the radio. He was still on when I came out of the grocery store. That's all he talked about for an hour was this topic and how, so so locally that became, you know, an easy thing to grab onto because everybody had been ramped up about it. I mean, they were like sending letters home uh, to Christian schools, to the families, to, you know, we must take action. They're, They're coming for our children. So there was a lot going on here. We'll see. I don't know if that's enough to radicalize somebody into trying to take down the power grid. That's the never that's know. the lead there. Right. You never know. People but I find it intriguing. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jason. I stepped on you. I apologize. That's all right. I find it intriguing that a pastor or a so-called pastor is so unacquainted with the book that he claims to guide him. You know, the <laughs> sin of Sodom is outlined in the chapter Ezekiel. And it doesn't say a damn thing about EQ plus homosexuality. Yeah. None of that. It says something quite different, actually, that people became obsessed with their images and their wealth and did not give care to the poor. It's spelled right out. I read the book. Uh, it's not my book. I'll just say that right up front. <laughs> but I read it. Unlike so many of the people who are performatively, publicly so-called Christian, like that pastor who clearly didn't yeah. read the chapter in Ezekiel because Sodom and Gomorrah had nothing to do with the uh, drag shows, right? Just like the 
COVID uh, vaccine resistance is somehow an issue of religious freedom. Well, the vaccines are not mentioned anywhere in the Bible. It's not brought <laughs> up anywhere, right? It's uh, so it's a it's an interesting posture, which also, in fact, goes in violation of Psalms chapter five, where it says, "Do not add to my words, lest thou be found to be a liar." Right. <laughs> so I think the old good pastor needs to read Psalms chapter five. Yeah, yeah. but that's uh, uh, yeah, a whole <laughs> different story. I'm a thousand percent with you. Um, it just so happens that I also know that the largest church in the area wrote the director of the theater, you know, outlining how egregious this was, no more support, you're acting against God and so forth. And by um, having the show or, or by well, no, putting look, the show on? Yes. Look, this is America. They're free mm -hmm. to not support right. the theater. They're free to not go. They're free to not donate. They're free to do whatever else instead they want to do. That's great. They should do that. Yeah. You know, where I get perplexed is why is it you need to control whatever i'm doing or looking at or reading or eating whatever it is you, you name the thing uh why why just go do your thing man right right and enjoy <laughs> it yeah although duke I, I i do have to say i'm a little offended i'm i don't live in north carolina i don't live in moore county but i know the sunrise theater <laughs> well you know what you know you're one of an infinity amount of people who know more than me about a lot of things <laughs> now admittedly i only know that because of grinch and i would not know it otherwise but yes yes, but yes when, he had two daughters in the theater arts yeah when well, he mentioned uh, the missus used to work used there. to work there yeah and when he mentioned <laughs> what it was about i was like okay i know that theater interesting well, i didn't realize that was the one where yes. she worked. i had no yes. idea so there was uh, yeah, I mean, we don't have to belabor this, but there was a lot of texting of just awareness of how sure. the community was, the antibodies were building up. Yeah. You know, and, and so she was privy to some of the letters being sent and so forth. And, sure. um, you know, I, look, at the end of the day, the thing happened three times before, just in a different location. It just happened to be on Main Street, you know. Yeah. We're in a different era that it just... I, I, and again, I'm not suggesting the two are related. They are right. proximate in time. We know that much. Right. We know nothing else. Right. We know nothing else. <clears throat> and and I think you 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 make an interesting point, Duke. You, if you go back to 2001, this becomes who perpetrates this in our mindset becomes an entirely different group of people. And we've talked about this with you, Jason, on the show before. <clears throat> it was it was just a shit sandwich that the Muslim community got wholesale in 2001 oh. because by and large they weren't an issue. But everybody wanted to pigeonhole them into something very specific after 2001. And it was just like, you know, and and, I, and again, you're going to have the same thing here, I think. Oh, it was the Christian right that perpetrated this, and now they're all Satan. And it's like, well, that, there are scumbags everywhere, left, right, middle, and you can't say one group is all that. But, you know... Well, it, it, well, yeah, I mean, and, and then there's two related, I, sorry, Jason, if you were about to chime in there, but there's two related topics to this. One, humans will fill in the void in the absence of facts, right? They they speculate and so forth, and the news feeds that. If the news doesn't have facts, it brings on speculation, theories, <laughs> analysis, quote unquote. And it's not that there, you know, there isn't some really good minds behind that, but that's what they're doing. They're filling that void of facts with theories and speculation that kind of back feeds into the, the um, social media realm, which is what gets chatted about all around. I mean, everybody I work with, like they were all very familiar with all the working theories and who had said what afterward. 
because it's a small community in the grand scheme. Yeah. So a lot of connective tissue with people and we were all affected. And that's yeah. by and large why I don't follow social media <laughs> for that very reason. So, uh, you know, again, being respectful of your time, uh, you know, before we close up shop here, uh, you know, anybody closing thoughts, Jason, Duke? I, th I think we went around the horn on it until we know more. There's not much uh, that can be said. Um, and, I, and I hope that we take some lessons from it and at least get some, some better uh, uh, audio and visual capabilities at those locations. So we can pick up something, you know, either people talking or, or video of, of who it is or a license plate because they're just pretty, they're pretty easy to find. And, yeah. and they're, as you said, tens of thousands of them. And we don't have enough people to stand by them. No. And it's interesting. I was looking up prior domestic terrorism situations and a power grid actually isn't on the list. There are a lot of shootings and bombings and kidnappings and this synagogue and that temple, but no yeah. power grid issue, which I think is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Be because uh, how many it can affect by attacking a power grid that something like that wouldn't fall on the list. So yeah. Duke, what about you? Aside from you're going to start a business printing uh, parts. <laughs> yes, no. for whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it will be there almost immediately. Not immediately, because he can't say that. But yeah, I can't say that. Uh, so, you know, uh, I'm going to end with a sort of a, a, a perplexing question I'm wrestling with in the hopes that other people will wrestle with it as well. Wait, so you're miserable? You're going to make the rest of us miserable? <laughs> you're damn right I am, right? <laughs> Misery loves company. I like it. Well, it's an intriguing problem. You know, we addressed a lot of the uh, actually nuances of this happening and what might or might not have been behind it in this conversation. This goes to a, a, a related topic that also has nuance to it, which means it'll never be addressed properly by our politics because political speech in America is highly simplified and idiotified, right? Uh, and the same for our media, which generally, again, I'm curious, there's a, there's a phenomenon afoot, not just in the media, but in other large organizations where lots of really intelligent people populate it, but it can only focus on something very simplistic, you know, one or two things that are extremely simplistic at a time. And I don't really understand that's an organizational dynamics uh, study that I'm going to undertake on my own. That is not what I'm offering up for the group to think about. <laughs> what I'm here to think about is, and ask you to think about is, uh, we often say in, we speculated on this conversation, in this conversation, um, perhaps someone who was allegedly religiously motivated had caused this harm to so many people because of a motivation stemming from the issues surrounding the Sunrise Theater and the show that was going to go on. But my question is, when do we stop honoring self-proclaimed claims of religiosity when they aren't true? We have this issue with Salafist, Takfirist Muslims who really are not Muslims at all in many respects, and they conduct extraordinary violence, and they use the claim of uh, an enhanced Muslimness, if you will, really in order to either attract followers or to neutralize or, uh, people who might oppose them, right? And so we have plenty of that in the U.S. in the form of uh, fake Christians who claim to be Christian but really don't do support 
or behave in any way that comports with the teachings of Jesus Christ in the in the second in the in the New Testament, right? So why do we say that that's a religious terrorist when they're clearly not? They're motivated to do violence by something, but the actual tenets of the faith are clearly not the things motivating them, even if they're claiming them. So let's not give them that credence and credibility. Let's not offer them that position where they're, in my opinion, essentially hijacking a faith system to neutralize certain people in the population who might resist them or to encourage others who call themselves or believe themselves to be the same thing to support them, even though their cause is quite against the tenets of that very, very same religion. I think we have to find a way to deal with that in our vocabulary, in our dialogue, uh, publicly, our public dialogue. Privately, we all deal with it ourselves, but, but publicly we have to figure out a way to grapple with that. You know, okay, is this religious violence or is it just an asshole who's claiming <laughs> to be a Christian doing this? And he's just a bigot, you know, or she, it could be she, we don't know. Um, you know, let's just call it what it is, not what it claims to be, right? Let's not honor the claim that is essentially false. Um whether or not that pastor is a real or fake Christian, I have no idea, Jason. I don't know him well enough. I didn't hear the broadcast. I don't know hear his broadcast every week. He could be. And just, uh, you know, someone who should go back and restudy <laughs> Ezekiel, maybe, uh, you know, so uh, and Psalms. So, uh, you know, but this is what I'd like people to think about. How do we deal with that? Because I think that's a real problem in our society. Um not just for issues of crime and terrorism, but really for politics, too. We have all sorts of people who make a claim of religious motivation for their policies when they are, they don't seem not. that religiously motivated, <laughs> you know? So I think if we can parse that out, we might be able to see more clearly and make decisions that are improved, you know, better information leads to better decisions, potentially, you know, potentially better decisions. So... That's the question and conundrum uh, I think the I, I definitely have a comment that'll tie something, but I know Jason, you you're you're, you're like Please, <laughs> I have yeah, some thoughts on this. Dive in. <laughs> but um yeah. it, it ties to two podcasts. One on was re about religion in itself, which is kind of the foundation in a way, it's it's very related. It's not the exact same conversation, but it ties to the podcast we had Jason on about um of just those leaving religion and who are the voices that stand up and with that jason i'm going to shut up <laughs> yeah I, i've been writing and speaking on that since really 2015 2016 and traveling around the world and talking to people around the globe about it uh and I, and we had, had a whole podcast because i wrote an article about how these extremists who claim to be religious are actually killing their own religions yes um, so my I just was tweeting about it today. One of my one of the people in Afghanistan that I follow was tweeting and said, "You know, I'm so tired of the Uma or the religious leaders of the Muslim community. They overlook all the suffering and pain that's going on around them, and you know, and allow these terrorists to misuse Islam in, in their name. You know, I'm I'm just sick of it. And I've and I've met so many young Muslims uh, around the world in, in my talks and young Christians more recently." who are walking away from religion. They're just done with it. And I, uh, the next piece I'm writing for the national interest is kind of a follow-up on that. My last one was, hey, all the religious extremists are killing their own religion. You know, Every terrorist that sets off a bomb is blowing up 
their religion, whatever religion they claim to be in. You're you're blowing up your own religion. You're not driving anybody to the faith. You're driving them from it. So I'm going to write an article about what young people want from religion, which is quite different from what some of the older extremist views on religion are trying to give the kids. You know, there's just like the army came up 15,000 short in recruiting, you know, because they don't know how to talk to this generation. Right. The religions are going to continue to come up short. And, and this really hit me when I was driving to talk to a group of Muslims in Raleigh to explain to them, you know, how I talk about Islam to non to non-Muslims. And I drove it was the day after Christmas. It was uh, Christmas Sunday. Um, and I'm driving past all these empty churches across the farmland <laughs> of North Carolina to go to a mosque to talk about Islam. And I just thought to myself, I mean, the pews are empty and 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 older Muslims tell me this too, you know, they're like, look, we are having trouble reaching these kids. I said, if you don't shut down the extremist voices in your own religion, even if they're on the fringe and you think they're not really of your religion anymore, they're still out there and they're loud and yeah. they're obnoxious mm-hmm. and they drive people away. It's uh, I, I look at it. It's almost the same as cable TV. You know, younger people don't even have a concept of buying cable TV. Right. Old people are just used to it. So they don't care yeah. about all the crap mm-hmm. that comes with it. Um, but young people are selective and it's a different world. They don't have to choose to go to a religious center every week. It's just it's a choice and yes. they don't need it. You better find a way to make it appetizing. Uh, and be useful to them because I, I think this is a big shift. These generations are going to be a big sea shift in religious uh, following. That unreligious group in the world is is now the third largest religion. Those who don't care about faith anymore, and that's that's fast. That's really fast mm-hmm. growing in human history. Yes. Oh, and, and, and I, go ahead, Duke. I, 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 I'm going to ask <laughs> your indulgence. I'm going to ask your indulgence. No, because <laughs> you gave me final remarks and I use them. <laughs> And now I want to go again. <laughs> so, uh, okay, but do piggy, piggy, here, piggy. So Isn't that just leave. like an old commander who always wants another go at it? So before we leave, does anybody have any final thoughts? <laughs> Thank you. You're a good sport. I appreciate you. I'm going to mix my next drink to you, but it won't be whatever that thing is that you're drinking. <laughs> That's okay. Because that does look gross. But... Uh, so this is a this is a huge uh, issue, and then of course now I've lost my train of thought. Now that we were joking around so much, <laughs> Jason, you finished with uh, this discussion. My the question I wanted to look at, and this is a whole other podcast, is we are facing. <clears throat> you know, we had this cognitive revolution seventy thousand to forty thousand years ago, where we began to evolve faster than biology through knowledge and culture, right? And culture, we created a lot of shit in our culture to include religion. And we became an agrarian uh, agrarian revolution about 10,000 years ago. Industrial revolution, first one about 400 years ago. Industrial revolution 2.0 about 1870, which changed everything. You know, we made as much progress since 1870 to now as we did from 6,000, 10,000 BC to 1870, right? In terms of human development and technological development. And of course the most recent, you know, we've had industrial revolution we're in 4.0 right now. If you ask my opinion, we can dive into that some other time. But we had the digital revolution, of course, from, you know, about 72 to today, right? Maybe a little earlier, transistors. But Andy Grove, Andres Istvan Grof, a refugee from a communist country in war in 1957, came to the U.S. penniless, not speaking English, and then invented the micro silicon microchip here. 
with Gordon Moore and Robert Noyce and founded Intel um, and changed our world. So 50 years of the digital revolution now has changed the way we live, work, everything we do. Everything about how we live is affected by that and changed by it. Right now, we have the synthetic revolution, intelligence, synthetic intelligence, synthetic biology, and it's going to change everything about how we live in the next 15 to 20 years, if that long, if that long. And those times of rapid change create these enormous stresses that lead to competing response mechanisms. You talked about backlash earlier, Grinch. Um, uh, it doesn't appear so far. Faith groups are clearly having a backlash to many of these innovations, right? In these revolutions um, to include the digital, right? Uh, and, but there is going to be a lot of tumult and tumult historically causes lots of conflict, political, economic, and sadly, also sometimes violent conflict, both the uh, military and criminal. Um, so navigating the next 20 years is going to be very tricky. And when you say that young people are leaving religion behind, I'm wondering if that isn't part of partly a product of this, these two revolutions going on now, but also probably something that makes them more capable of grappling with the changes that are coming. Because historically, religions of all kinds, not going to pick on any one of them, have been extraordinarily resistant to change, particularly technological change. Now, we could fight about that, too, maybe in a future episode. Right, whether that's true or not. Well, right. you can argue, you know, their position is it doesn't need to change because it's perfect or correct, and it should endure. But that's only just additive to your comment. You know, much in much many like cases, this I think many of them don't need to change to accommodate different technologies. <laughs> Human beings are still what they are. Certain questions will never be answered by science. I mean, again, they we're getting moving into the next podcast. Sorry, you know, <laughs> science won't ever answer the question about how should I live my life. How should I behave? How should I treat the people in my life? Uh, or how should I treat strangers? Those aren't questions that science, science can right. ultimately answer. Right. Those come from somewhere else, right? Um, so it'll be interesting to see where these young people who are leaving faith systems are going to get those answers, right? I don't know the question. I don't know the answer to that. This but it would be... Just Good fun to chew on that. <laughs> he's, just trying to keep, he's trying to keep us up at night. That's what this hey, is. We got a, yeah, we got some teasers out there like, for future like, episodes. Like six Sports episodes Turner. now. Yeah, You wouldn't want to run out of content, man. <laughs> no, between Jason and Duke, we got like another six That's right. episodes. We'll tell, perfect. We'll, we'll tell Haas and Mac we're just good for a while. We'll let yeah. them know. <laughs> Stay on vacation. Uh, I did want to say, yeah, I, I did want to say, though, you, Grinch, bringing it up, and Jason, obviously, episode 305, that was the technically the third of spirited debate episode of season three jason was on it's called losing my religion go out and listen to it for all of our yeah, listeners at home that was the one that he's talking about in terms of him writing his article and us debating that and now duke with his two final remarks making sure that we, <laughs> we all have sleepless nights um you know, and I appreciate it. Gentlemen, as always, it's great having you guys on. We've had you both on individually. It was phenomenal having you both here together. Uh, you are, like I said in the beginning, you're a wealth of knowledge. I can basically say something and then I sit back and I let everybody else do the talking. This is great. Um, and I would absolutely love to have both you on again. Uh, you know, I'm sitting here making notes. I apologize because I'm typing in my phone every time you guys say something about something. Okay, need to remember this um, because I would definitely love to have you guys back on that we can talk about this 
on a, a much deeper level. I know today's episode, and, and we did get sidetracked here at the end of today's episode, obviously talking about the domestic <laughs> terrorism, vandalism, whatever we want to call it. Um, I do appreciate y'all's perspective on it uh, and taking the time out of your busy day to to be here with Grinch and I to discuss it. And, uh, you know, as always, to all of our listeners uh, anywhere in the listening area, please go out to aspiriteddebate.com. Check out all of the episodes there in the vault. There's uh, about 161, plenty of plenty of minutes for you to just kind of bury yourself in and listen. We, we cover a lot of topics. Uh, we've got multiple episodes with Jason. We now have multiple episodes with Duke. Uh, get out there and listen. Uh, again, they are great to uh, to come on and, and listen to with what they bring to the table. Um, feel free to drop us a line there if you'd like, a drink you'd like us to try. Uh, I'm going to Duke for all my drinks, although my bar is clearly <laughs> not at his level. Um, but he, he, he makes some good drinks. Maybe I can get there. Um, you know, you know, I'm looking to relocate to North Carolina next year. So just that's saying. true. That's true. Um, that won't be more county if people keep attacking the substations. Oh, Jesus. Um, but uh, yeah, drop us a line there. A topic you'd like us to debate, drink you'd like us to try. Or you can hit us up at the full horseman at a spirit of debate.com. That's our email. You can always go there and drop us a line, a drink you'd like us to try, a topic you'd like us to debate. If there's something you'd like, these gentlemen to come back on and debate for you. I'm, I'm all for that, you know, throw out a topic as you know, they are inclined to do, and we can come back on and waste a lot of time and pass on a lot of knowledge. But uh, as always, gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. I really enjoy you guys coming on, taking time doing this. I enjoy it week in and week out and definitely look forward to having you both on in the future. So thank you very much. Yes. All thank right. you. Thanks all. views, information, or opinions expressed during the A Spirited Debate podcast series or any affiliated podcast are solely those of the hosts or guests involved and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the hosts or guests may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. While guests are invited to listen, listeners acknowledge that they are not being provided professional advice from the podcast or its guests. The content within the parameters of A Spirited Debate podcast series or any affiliated podcast are for entertainment and educational purposes only. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.